I think it was March 2014, Time Magazine wanted to know what was the most popular Christmas song. Now, my favorite Christmas song is Oh Holy Night. I just love that. Like every Christmas Eve service, this will be our 10th time doing it. We've always sang that song at my request. Like, I don't, you, you know, do every song you want to do for Christmas, but you got to do a whole, that's my favorite one. I've been worshiping with it at the piano all week long this last week. Um, and my favorite secular Christmas song is Jingle Bell Rock. I mean, don't, don't you turn the radio up when that one comes on. Like, you know, I actually did a show with Bobby Helms. He's the guy that sang that song years ago, years and years, back in the 90s. I did a show. He's, he's passed, since passed away. But the guy who did Jingle Bell Rock, I actually did a show with him, open for him. Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you that. But that's my favorite Christmas Eve Christmas song. And I don't know about your house, uh, but for me, I like the Christmas music starting around Thanksgiving. And Jen's like, no, it's too early. And then, uh, but it, I, I, I just like hearing it. It makes the home feel cozy. I do think there's something uh, that you sense about Christmas. And I think that's why unbelievers are just, oh, they, they pause for it. But Time Magazine, they did a study. They wanted to know what was the most popular Christmas song. And so they took from 1978 all the way to 2014, and they just figured out, like, what is the most popular recorded Christmas song? And the most popular recorded Christmas song was Silent Night. It was recorded by 733 different artists. The second to that was Joy to the World, and I think that was like 391. And the third most popular Christmas song ever recorded by artists was, uh, oh, not Old Holy Night. It was uh, White Christmas. Thank you, yeah, which I actually like that one too. White Christmas. So that tells me, and I think that was like 280 sometimes that was recorded. And that's secular artists, not Christian. There wasn't 733 Christian artists over the last, you know, 33 decades that did that. That tells me, according to our culture and our music, and secular artists, and the Bible, Jesus is still the center of Christmas. It is not consumerism. Uh, it, it is not just a holiday. The world still knows it. They still sing songs about Jesus. I might not know what the story means, and that's why we've been talking about it. Every December, we highlight this story of what is Christmas? Why do we celebrate it? Christmas is the clearest reminder that God is with us. It's the retelling of the story that there will be born of a virgin, a boy, and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that's what we talked about two weeks ago. We looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah that God was with them and their trials. And it took a long time for them to get the promise of God. And the big idea two weeks ago is God's not slow in making your promise come true. He's patient. And he's waiting. He's in that tension between the dream of your heart or the thing that he's spoken to you and the reality of it. It took 25 plus years before their dream came to pass. And they probably thought God was taking too long. But God is with you. This is what the writer of Matthew tells us when he lists the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew starts the Christmas story out different than the book of Luke. Luke is the one who tells us about the shepherds and the angels and a light and a star and, and all of these, these cool, what well, Matthew tells us about the Magi. 
But he doesn't start there. He starts with the genealogy of Jesus and mentions David, which means he comes from royalty, and then Abraham, which means he's a Jewish nation. He's of Jewish nation. He's an Israelite. Then, last week, we talked about, well, if he is with us, why is he with us? Christmas is the clearest reminder God is with us, and the reason why he is with us is Jesus is God's salvation plan to save the world. The reason why he's here is because something's gone wrong, and you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know this. Something's gone awry. This is why there's violence. This is why there's terror. There's Everything that you sense ugly about the world is because we live in a fallen, broken world, but God has a plan. And we talked last week about the word salvation. It's the Greek word sozo. And it didn't mean just forgiveness of sins or to be delivered from your sins. It includes that. But it's way more than that because it means wholeness. And we talked about David and Bathsheba, who was part of the lineage of Jesus last week. David needed to be forgiven of his sin. So he had sozo salvation for that. Bathsheba needed, needed the sozo salvation, the wholeness of the salvation of God because she'd been sinned against. So salvation is more than just like a behavior and clean up your behavior, clean up your... No, no, it's about healing your soul. And today what I want to talk about is if God is with us and he's saving us and healing us fully so that we can um, be healed and live out of the identity and the freedom of Jesus, then what? Once you get a transformation of the Holy Spirit in your heart, the next thing we do is we tell others. He said to the, the angel said to the shepherds, go and tell. This story is only known today because believers for the last 2,000 years have been going and telling over and over and over again, God is with us. He will save you. He will heal you. He will restore your life, and it will be better than it was before you knew Jesus. And you're going to make better decisions, and he's going to transform you. You're actually going to be a new person. And the worthlessness you feel, that'll come off of you. The shame that you feel from the bad decisions you made, that'll come off of you because that's the power of sozo salvation. It transforms you inside out. But then people notice what's different about you. Something's different about you. It's the light of Jesus on the inside of you. Once you get transformed, you can't hide that light. You can even try to. People will know. When I started out as a machinist, it was a UAW, uh, that was a, a union plant. If you don't know what that means, it means uh, when your first day, you are the lowest on the totem pole, so you get to clean toilets. That's what that means. And so that's what I did the first couple of months as a, as, as a, a uh, part of the UAW, United Auto Workers, I was cleaning toilets. And so there were like six different bathrooms. It did take all eight hours of my shift. I was working second shift, and I did learn women's bathrooms are nicer than men's bathrooms. <laughs> Men, they just like would trash it, leave the newspaper laying on the floor, and it's like, what? And women, this was so crazy. I'm not making this up. Their bathroom was so clean. They had a couch 
inside their bathroom. Like these women were hiding in the women's restroom. I'm like, what? They get a lounge in the bathroom? So I was cleaning this one men's restroom just before break time. This, uh, this black man, he came in. I can't remember his name. I loved him. He was older guy. He was wise. He kind of felt like, um, not Earl Jones, but the, the God guy. Who's that? Morgan Freeman. Yeah, just he actually looked like him, kind of talked real smooth like him. And you're like, oh, can I hug you? And uh, he was just that, like, you just felt warm. And he said, he said this to me. He said, something different about you. Now, I'm new. I'm not, I don't, I'm, and I'm also a shy person. So I'm not talking to a whole lot of people. So there's something different about you. And he told me what it was. He says, you're a follower of Jesus. I said, how do you know that? He said, well, when Jesus was denying, when Peter was denying Jesus, the, they said to him, your speech denies you. You've been around Jesus. You can't hide that light. God is with us and you get transformed, people can tell. So it's not just a clear reminder. We're not just remembering a memory or some event that took place 2,000 years ago and, oh, we got a baby Jesus now. And, and that's not what we're doing. We're reminding our heart that God is presently with us. He is presently saving us, sozo salvation, so that I can share the light, so I can go and tell. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So... And then he moved it. He made it bigger than one person. He said, you are a city on a hill. And we're to let our light shine. Matthew starts out the Christmas story with the genealogy of Jesus uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's writing to a Jewish audience, and he wants to prove that his lineage is of David because the Jews believe the Messiah is going to be of the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David. So he lists this genealogy to prove that. And he starts his Christmas story out this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, which means he's royalty and he's of the lineage of David, and the son of Abraham. And we talked about Sarah and Abraham was an unlikely couple for the lineage of Jesus to go through because they couldn't have children. David and Bathsheba was an unlikely couple for the story, the Christmas story to start through because of the, the nature of how their marriage started, out of adultery. And there was a cover-up and a murder and a scandal. In ancient times, you would never write women into a genealogy. It's, you know, it's rude to say that, but if you lived as a woman 2,000 years ago, you had no rights. And you weren't included. You couldn't even speak in court. They had no rights. So it Matthew is doing something bold. There's a couple reasons I think he highlights women when he, he's talking about one, He's honoring women because he knew God did. But he also is letting us know there's some unlikely people in the lineage of Jesus who shouldn't be. If you're looking for perfect couples to talk about the Christian faith, or if you're looking for the perfect people to, to see, like, his lineage was not perfect, even though he was. Verse 5. Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You know who Rahab was? She was a prostitute. Boaz's mom was a prostitute. 
Matthew has the audacity, and she's not Jewish. She's a Gentile. I love this because it tells us that Jesus dies for all humanity. He lived as both Jewish and had Gentile descendant in him. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, another Gentile Moabite. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So I'll flip over to Ruth chapter 2, because I want to use Boaz's story and his kindness towards Ruth to talk about how we can shine our light and demonstrate the love of God this season. We should be doing this as a practice as followers of Jesus, but Boaz was very kind to a stranger, to a foreigner. If you don't know the story of Ruth, her mother-in-law was named Naomi. She was an uh, Israelite. And her and her husband, Naomi and her husband, had two sons. And they moved to Moab because Judah and Bethlehem was in a drought. There was in a famine, so they weren't eating. So they moved to Moab, and they lived there about 10 years. And in that 10 years, their sons get married, but they die. So now they have two daughter-in-laws, her widow. Her husband dies. Naomi's husband dies. And Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and she returns to Bethlehem because Moab, she has nothing here anymore. And Ruth begs her, let me go with you. And she says, your God will be my God. My people will be your people. Wherever you go, I will follow you. And so she ends up in Bethlehem, a foreign land to her. As a Gentile, as a Moabite. And Matthew has the audacity to name an unlikely woman named Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. She is not Jewish. In ancient times, tribalism was a big thing because it not only represented who you're from or your culture, but it also represented the God you serve. So if you said you were a Moabite, you probably thought, oh, they're, they're pagan. And yet, God has an entire book called the Book of Ruth in his word for a Moabite woman. Audacity. I love God. All right, so this is so she moves to Israel or Bethlehem, and she's broke, she's poor, she's a widow. They have nothing, so she has to essentially walk behind uh, harvesters to get the gleanings. This is how in ancient times you took care of the poor. They could collect the gleanings, whatever fell on the ground. We have a farm field behind us. Um, our a, we bought a farmhouse. We don't have the farmland, but we bought the house. But the farmland went to another farmer, and he, he this year he, he produces different crops. This year was corn, and they just harvested it last week. But there, you can walk out there, and you can still find little pieces of corn. You can find, you know, sometimes even a, a, a little cob of corn. And in ancient times, they had to leave the, the outside border of a field, and whatever you dropped as a farmer, the poor could collect so they could eat. And that was how they fed the poor. Ruth is poor, so this is where we pick up the story. She ends up in Boaz's field, and Boaz asks his, his uh, right-hand man, like, who is that? And they're like, oh, that's Ruth. Uh, she came back with, with Naomi. And so this is his first encounter with his future wife. He doesn't know it's going to be his wife. And the kindness through him opens up a relationship. Matthew starts the Christmas story telling us about this unlikely couple. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen, listen to me. 
Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the women. And I I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And wherever you are thirsty, go and drink and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner, a misfit, an outcast? I've heard of Yahweh, but it wasn't my God at first. I'm new to the Jewish faith. Like, why would you be kind to me? Well, Boaz loved God. And what this tells us is we should practice hospitality to strangers, to the misfits, to the outcasts, to the one who looks like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know why they're here. And your act of kindness can open up a door that could change a life. That's kind of the big idea of what we're talking about as God transforms our hearts. Don't underestimate the power of kindness and what it can do. Because it could change a world. It could change trajectories of families. We know this because Matthew tells us, oh, this was the father, Boaz, whose wife was Ruth. One act of kindness. I met my wife through an act of kindness. We were in 12th grade. I worked at Pizza Hut. I'd been there a couple years. We had a team meeting on a Saturday morning. Jen's new. She shows up. I've never seen her. She walked, and I can tell she's uncomfortable. She doesn't know anybody in the room. She's not fitting in. And I don't know why. And God is my witness. I had pure motives. I did not. Have, I was dating somebody else. So, like, it, you know, it wasn't too timing. But I seen her, and I wanted to, so I just demonstrated kindness. And I went to her. I said, hey, do you want to come sit with us? And she said, yes. And the rest. And now you know. <laughs> he who has ears, let him hear. You know Paul Harvey. <laughs> the rest of you are like, I don't know what he means. Um, YouTube Paul Harvey, and then you will know the rest of the story. When we moved here 10 years ago, we are out to dinner with a couple. She, I didn't know this, but she told the couple, oh, the day I seen Mike, I knew I was going to marry him. I did not know that. I said, you've never told me. Yeah, I've told you. I said, you've never told me that. I would have remembered that. And uh, but she knew that day we were going to get married. And it's an act of kindness, of just a conversation. And our marriage was rough. We come from two different backgrounds. And it was rough the first couple of years, but God worked in the middle of it, and he heals our marriage. And then we help plant a church with 50 people in Kalamazoo. The day it's like three or 4,000. Then they send us here to Jackson, and now we're a church of about 1,000. And their impact, because an act of kindness. Don't underestimate an act of kindness. And I don't know if it's a generational thing, but this is how my middle son met his wife at work. An act of kindness. I don't think his motives were pure, though. <laughs> Was it pure? Was it pure? He doesn't know. He put his hands up. And I remember, thank you. I remember him meeting her. 
She didn't grow up in a religious home. Of course, I'm a pastor, so I got to do the dad thing. Like, tell me about this girl. Does she know Jesus? No. Um, let's go to church. No. Um, tell me about her family. No, Jesus. I don't know, Dad. Like, what do you know about this girl? I don't know anything. I just like her. I'm like, <laughs> cannot be unequally yoked. He, he didn't hear that, you know. He, he, but, but the Lord told me when I was praying, I'll never forget this. I was up, I'm upset about it. Lord, what about this girl? And he told me, oh, she'll be a Ruth at Boaz's feet. I knew that day my son was going to marry her. And he took her through the runner, by the way. I'm going to, can I call you? I don't know. <laughs> you know where I'm going? No? You have to trust me. <laughs> he took her through the ringer. He, in and out of that relationship. But she, she kept there. But it was his act of kindness. Well, it took him a long time. He wasn't a Boaz. He was a slow as. <laughs> took him a long time to figure it out. She said, stop being a dumbass and marry me. I'm sorry. Don't send me an email. Just having fun. Don't act like you ain't ever said the real word. An act of kindness. She comes to Radiant. She gives her heart to Jesus like they love the Lord. They're serving the Lord. An act of kindness literally can impact a city. A hello. Never underestimate a touch. Never underestimate listening to somebody's story. Never underestimate the smile. Never underestimate what God could do if we let our light shine. He saves us. Sozo salvation. He transforms us so that we are light. And the person who is struggling, the person who's going through difficulty, you have the solution. They know something's different about you. Don't hide the light. Practice hospitality. We are called to live the Christmas story. Verse 11, Boaz replied, so she says, hey, I'm a foreigner. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of her hus- or your husband. How you've left your father and mother in your homeland, so everything you know, in other words, and come to live with the people you do not know, be- you did not know before, verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done, and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. So he's kind of he's uh, evangelizing Ruth. Talking about the God of Israel and the kindness of God. And under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Second thing we do is we find ways to honor people. He said, listen, you've been good to your mother-in-law. And you moved to a land that you don't know. And you're like figuring it out here, man, good for you. Like he is honoring her. You know, research shows that when you honor people through work, kind words, just being kindest words, it like lifts up well-being. Uh, one research that I read said it was the same. If you walked into your boss's office and he gave you a raise, there would be something in your brain would light up and that would be a, it's, this is better now. It's a, the same exact response with just a compliment. Complimenting people for their accomplishments or 
their, their behavior, complimenting them for, you know, what, the, what they're good at, how they look. It's got to be authentic, though. Don't say you look good when they don't. <laughs> but Boaz noticed the sacrifice that she was making. He was placing high value on her. And she's a foreigner. And to an Israelite who's telling her about the God of Israel, he may wonder about the paganism in her life, but he doesn't let that deter him to honor the image of God within her. Put a high value on people, even people who are different than you. And let's, let's move away from what society is doing. Society right now is airing its opinions. And now if we think differently politically, we are enemies. And now if we think differently on, on different issues that are going on, we are enemies. And everybody is joining a team, a some tribe that is raising its voice against something and what they're mad about. And all we're hearing is people just saying their opinions on everything political, everything uh, about race, everything about poverty. Every, and just everybody's taking their sides and we all have different solutions. When I, You know what we all want? We all want our life to be better. That's what everybody wants. The, everybody wants their life to be better. If you figure that out, you can lay aside political differences. You can lay, uh, you can lay aside social differences and honor and put a high value on people, people of different faith, people of different income levels, people who don't fit in, who don't talk like you, just honor people. And it will open their hearts up. Jen and I have learned, especially after becoming a pastor, because you kind of become more aware, you want to know people's stories. If there is any pain in someone's life, and it's a stranger, a foreigner like Ruth, and you give a listening ear, almost within five minutes, that pain comes out. Because they feel the Jesus in you. They feel safe. They, they, they see that light, and they know that somehow this person's an honoring person. We've had waitresses and waiters within minutes start talking about like losing their son or losing or whatever, you know, the divorce they're going through, the tragedy. In minutes, if you just honor the person, it's all it takes. I'll look at, oh, I'll just look for anything on someone's, like if they got a necklace, a cross, they were you spiritual, if they got a tattoo. Um, I've learned about tattoos. I don't have one. But I've learned that people who have them, that, that tattoo means something. So I'll often, you know, like especially if it's like a date, a name of a person or, or like an image of somebody that they loved on, like, like you just ask them about that. Oh, that's my, my dad. And, he, and, you, and it, it, they just love that you ask them. Pastor Braden was telling me last service, he says, you know that people come to this church because I've asked them about their tattoos. Honoring. Not quoting Leviticus, oh, you know, the Lord doesn't like tattoos, you know, which is not true. There's, you got to understand why he said don't, don't mark your body because in pagan worship, they would mark their bodies for their gods. However, when the Bible says that God will write his name on his hand, it 
in Hebrew, it means he'll tattoo your name on his hand. And so I'll, you know, if it's roses, like I'll just ask, like, what is it about? Now, if it's on their back right here, I don't say it. You don't ask. I've learned. Don't ask about that one. Don't ask about that one. Just honor people. But, the, but I've learned the smallest act of kindness, it does have power. It transforms life. Let's keep reading and we'll pray. Verse 13, may, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You, you have put me at ease, see? He's given her act of, acts of kindness. He's honoring what she's done for her mother-in-law. And she says, oh, this, this, this puts me at ease. I thought you were going to judge me. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You put, put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing of one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it into wine. And when she sat down together, the harvesters, the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. The point is, is he's being very generous that's the thing I want you to catch. Let's be kind to people. Let's honor them. And three, let's demonstrate generosity to those who are less fortunate. It's the third thing I want. Just generate that generosity. That's why I'm proud of you. Um, I don't know where it is, but as of last Tuesday, I think over $20,000 came in for our giving hope. And that's going to, the Center for Women, the, the story that Michael told about the woman who decided to keep her baby. We're going to build a well for a village that probably walks a couple of miles, minimal at least, to get their water from a dirty river. And we, this, is, this is what believers do. We shine the light to the world around us. And we should do more than the minimum. Because that's what Boaz is doing. Minimally, he should have just let her, her pick up the gleanings, but he literally tells them, I told the men, literally just drop extra stuff for her. Don't do the minimum. Do above and beyond for her. And often we feel like that we have less. Like if, if I give financially or I give of my time, you know, it's going to create fatigue, compassion fatigue or giving fatigue. And I'm just, you know, we, we feel like we're limited in resources. But what I, rem what I have learned about God, the more that we give. Kirk, can you come up here? Kyle, could you come up here? Marietta, could you come up here? Jenna, Randy, could you come up here? Is that enough? I think that might be enough. Everyone, you take a candle, hand that to them. Thank you. I think we have enough. Is there enough for, for all of you? Okay. These are not swords. Don't sword fight. This next Sunday, we're going to have a candlelight service. It's my favorite part of Christmas Eve. You think about the, a candle, the, the stick represents the length of your life. And when we choose to follow Jesus, 
He comes in, the source of all life. It's got a kid thing. Help your dad out. It's because you're a kid. He doesn't. They never trained me on it. Ah, there we go. God comes into your life and he says, you are light. Turn the lights off. One person who follows Jesus. Jesus, when he, he said, you are the light of the world, then the next thing he says, you're a city on a hill. And they knew what he meant by that because every person would light a candle and they would put their light in the window and the city would light up. So this flame represents your soul, your spirit, your compassion, everything godly about you, your resources that you have for God. And the enemy says, don't spend time, you'll get tired. Don't give that financially, you're going to run out. But here is what believers know. That if you give your time and your life, you pass the light on. And your flame keeps burning. This is the image Jesus gives us. He says, you're the light of the world. And it is his plan to save humanity through our acts of kindness, through our honoring one another, for our living generous to those who are less fortunate. And it never extinguishes the flame. And if everyone in this room could walk up here and touch the flame in my life, it won't extinguish mine. It keeps spreading. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of the light inside of you. You can turn the lights back up and you can blow those out. And you throw these back in the thing for me. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Would you stand up and lift your hands? Jesus, I pray the great theologian Neil Diamond that we would turn on our heart light. Church, turn on your heart light. Don't put it under a basket. Turn it up. Don't dim it. Don't underestimate it. Don't disregard it. Turn it up. Don't fear rejection. Turn it up. So, Father, I just ask in Jesus' name, fill us with your light. Father, I pray that Radiant Church would be a city on a hill. We would be known for your presence in our gatherings. That when we're in communities, we're in activities at school or at work or shopping or we're giving life to the strangers to the foreigners to those who don't know you 
and it's real. You are alive. And I pray that our faith and our love would be contagious, that it would spread like fire. Do that in our lives. Bless everyone in this room, every person watching online. Father, fill them with the life of Jesus. We thank you for the light you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.